welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Our guest today is Dr. Ann Plant. Dr. Plant is Chief of the Biosystems and Biomaterials Division at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, otherwise known as NIST. NIST is the federal technology agency that works with industry to develop and apply technology, measurements, and standards. Welcome, Dr. Plant. Thank you. Can you expand on the description that I gave of NIST and give our audience a better idea of what NIST does? That's a great opportunity, thank you. A lot of people see standards in our name and uh, they think that that's pretty much all we do, except there's always a lot of confusion about what standards are. Everybody's got a different idea of what a standard is. And in fact, most people think that standards are a way of sort of eliminating what everybody can do. Everybody has to do the same thing is what they think standards are. And in fact, that's not exactly the case. The idea of standards is that uh, standards can help innovation by making it more feasible for different groups to share data, to share information, and to be sort of on the same playing field with respect to understanding and measurements. The major thing that NIST does, though, actually on the day-to-day, is basic research. And that always surprises people because they uh, sometimes don't think of measurement science as being a research and discovery activity, but for us it very much is. Uh, So there is discovery research, and that's primarily what NIH does and and pays uh, uh, academic researchers to do. At NIST, when we do research in biomedical areas, um, it's really about how do you make a better measurement? How uh, do you know that the measurement that you made is a valid one? And what other kinds of benchmarks or other uh, ancillary measurements do you need around that measurement? in order to give you confidence that that measurement is a correct measurement. Great. And I was wondering if you could also comment um, on how NIST is not a regulatory agency and how this may pose both an opportunity and challenge for introducing new standards for regenerative medicine. Mm -hmm. It is uh, one of the advantages of NIST that we're not a regulatory agency. It also means that we don't have any sticks. We're not a a funding agency, per se, so we don't have any carrots either. So that puts us in an (laughs) odd situation, but it also is an advantage in some ways um, because it does make it easy for us to interact with industry and academia. And one of the things that we're very good at is convening industries uh, and being a place where uh, companies can come in and work with us in the form of consortia or uh, in a, on a casual basis, a one-on-one or, uh, or different kinds of, of uh, interactions uh, among, among different companies um, in order to do uh, research or development or, um, or standards work that benefits everybody. Great. Dr. Plant, you are over the Biosystems and Biomaterials Division at NIST. Can you tell us more about this division and their purpose? Yes, and actually, um, for Truth in Advertising, I'm actually taking a hiatus this year from being Division Chief, and I'm focusing on um, trying to help develop our bio portfolio and just understand how to better communicate what we do and make sure that we are um, 
making what we do more accessible to people on the outside. So that involves improving our web pages, but then also coordinating our internal activities a little better. But I'm still very close to the division and sitting within the division, and, um, and my colleague who's taking over most of my work is working very hard and is being a very good sport about it. Um, <laughs> and I want to thank him. Uh, he knows who he is. Well, first of all, I should start with NIST. NIST is a very diverse organization. We have a number of Nobel laureates in physics, mostly in Bose-Einstein condensation and, and similar sorts of uh, um, uh, physics. Uh, but uh, uh, we also have uh, a laboratory in information technology. Uh, we have a lot of engineering that goes on. We have a center for um, nanoscale science and technology. We have a neutron reactor facility. Um, and we're in the materials measurement laboratory. So it's an uh, extremely diverse portfolio yeah. of lots of different kinds of science and technology that's available. And uh, honestly, for me, when I first started at NIST, it was like the candy shop because, <laughs> you, you know, there was uh, work that I would be doing within my research that uh, when I came to a stumbling block and I wasn't sure how to go on, I would just look in, well, we had a, a printed blue book at the time, and find out who was an expert. And I'd go talk to that person, and maybe they'd send me to another person. And so, you know, we just have experts uh, pretty much in almost any field you can imagine at NIST. So in our division, we have a number of uh, important programs going on, and, and in fact, probably uh, too many for the, for the number of people that we have, because there's always other things that come down the pike that, um, that seem to require our, our attention. We have a very strong program in um, uh, measurement assurance for genomic measurements, um, and so uh, right now one of the big programs there is Genome in a Bottle Consortium, which NIST is very, very active in. We work closely with the FDA in, um, in, in developing good technologies uh, and measurement assurance for gene sequencing that, that uh, feeds into um, uh, diagnostics, personal diagnostics. We work with the, um, the NIH very closely in the early uh, uh, cancer detection research network for um, uh, doing measurement assurance uh, for their discovery laboratories. Uh, to help make sure that people can make good measurements within that program. We also have uh, new programs in uh, looking at the veracity of gene editing, which sort of impinges on uh, yeah. uh, regenerative medicine as well as, uh, as other areas. We have lots of work in biomaterials, mostly a, a lot of dental materials, also in biofilms. Uh, we're starting a, um, a program in microbiological measurements. It's particularly in microbial genomic sequencing. Hmm. We, we have um, a lot of effort in flow cytometry and um, quality assurance in flow cytometry and absolute quantitation for flow. Uh, a lot of efforts in, um, in imaging and uh, quantitative imaging and uh, uh, new technologies of imaging. Wow. You know, it, it, there, it, the I'm, list goes I'm on and telling, on. I'm not telling you everything, <laughs> right? But a lot of different things. And, you know, each one of these areas is um, incredibly important for measurement assurance yeah. in the biomedical sciences. So it's hard to give anything up. We always keep finding more problems that we really need to be paying attention to. Yeah. You gave a few examples during your talk today mm -hmm. about specific projects that you've been working on and, and some case study examples. Mm -hmm. One that comes to mind for me is, is the one with Lonzo, where, mm -hmm. where a company came to you with a specific problem. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe recount that briefly? Sure. sure. Uh, um, and, and so this is the problem of cell counting and accurate cell counting, uh, which 
kind of surprised me, honestly, that um, that's not just a simple problem that everybody has already solved. And of course, at some level, everybody can count cells, but depending on how carefully you need to count them, <clears throat> and depending upon what kind of precision uh, you need, what kind of accuracy you need in counting cells, uh, you find that uh, if you really want to be very sure of your cell counting, it's not such an easy thing. Um, and so uh, Lanza's dilemma was that um, when there is more than one way of counting cells, um, and those two count the, those two types of um, methods don't give you the same number of cells in the end, that you have a you, you know you have a dilemma that has to be resolved. And and so this was basically a, a project to compare counting of cells with a hemocytometer versus counting of cells uh, with an automated imaging device. And one of the um, the ways that we have thought about addressing cell measurements is to try to figure out how do we make a reference material for cells. Um, and that, of course, because of the, that's, that's of course not a very easy thing to do as it turns out, and we've thought about it a lot, but since so many cells are, you know, cells are very different, um, they aggregate differently, they have different parameters and characteristics, um, size, etc., that um, it really wasn't a practical solution for all kinds of measurement devices. Um, and so instead, in collaboration with our statistics division, one of the uh, staff in our biomaterials group developed um, a, uh, a statistical method for um, assessing uh, relative accuracy and precision of two different methodologies that's, that's based on proportionality of uh, yeah. numbers of cells that's really interesting. relative to dilution. Yeah, it's and and it concept. solved the problem where you don't have to invest the years and time in, in developing, at least in this case, a reference standard. It turns um, out that it, a it'll be great if, if other applications could also be met with, with, with similar statistical approaches. Yes, yeah. It takes some yeah. clever thinking, but I think, <laughs> I think we could do it more often than we think. Because yeah. reference materials are really hard to make. Can you discuss some of the measurement challenges that the field of regenerative medicine faces? Well, that's a very long list. <laughs> What's your top three? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, from my perspective, they all stem from measurements, right? You know, first of all, the biology is really hard. I think, um, you know, most of the things that uh, people are trying to do in this field uh, are largely, you know, we're, we're trying to discover things about biology that is, that's really complicated, and most of the products that uh, people are working toward um, there's an unknown mechanism of action or a poorly understood mechanism of action. And so when that's the case, you don't even know what to measure. And of course, uh, uh, and maybe this is part of the same problem, or maybe this is number two, I'm not sure, Josh, but um, uh, parameter space is very large. You know, in biology, there are just so many moving parts um, uh, that have to do with handling and cell sourcing, um, but also uh, have to do with reagents. and. Um, uh, and, and the manual steps that are, are in most procedures. And so there's just uh, an incredible number of places uh, where there are variables that are poorly controlled. Um, so from a measurements point of view, biology is really difficult because you don't know what to measure because it's so complex and because the, the measurement processes that we have for the most part are so uncontrolled. Back in May of this year, um, you held a workshop on measurement assurance strategies for cell therapy products. I think it would be nice if you could briefly define what do we mean by measurement assurance and essentially why should we care. I think that'll help 
put into some context some of these challenges that we're dealing with. I think part of the motivation, or a large part of the motivation for that workshop uh, stemmed uh, from a number of other workshops that have occurred, and uh, probably the one before it uh, most recently that made me think, no, we have to do this at NIST, was a workshop at FDA. There were a lot of companies represented and uh, academic researchers, and it was a workshop on standards, um, and FDA was trying to give some information and then also uh, trying to solicit from the audience what the audience knew about the availability of standards, the, um, the usefulness of standards that, that were um, already in existence for this field. And um, there was a great deal of confusion about there are so many different kinds of standards, and what are we doing, and, and what, what, is the, what is the general theme? And what all of that discussion made me realize is that there was confusion about the relationship between uh, how you make a good measurement and how you write a standard. Um, and so, you know, standards can be very broad and general, uh, in which case maybe you don't need a measurement to underpin them, you know what you want, and you can say, you know, this is, this is a... Uh, a standard of some sort, but in a very general way, and, and that's how most FDA guidance uh, documents are written. But at some level, people would like to know that there are standards for how they validate an assay and understand how to do that validation. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, was what was missing. There was confusion about how does that information come about? Where does it come from? And, and it comes from understanding the measurement process so that you can say this step is controlled and this step is controlled and this step is controlled. And so um, to go back to your original question, which is uh, what is measurement assurance, it's basically um, understanding the confidence that you have in the answer that you get, in the conclusion that you can draw. And of yeah. course, uh, high level of confidence will make it easier to make a decision. You know, if you have to make a decision and you don't have enough information or you don't uh, have enough confidence in the information that you have, it's very hard to make an educated decision. Um, but if you're very confident in the answer, then it's usually pretty easy to make a decision. Yeah. And in terms of getting at why we should care, I think companies can save lots of money if they're able to arrive at a decision point, let's say, along that manufacturing process. Um, and maybe that brings in an element of, I know you also mentioned this during your talk, quality by design. And, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, yeah. I mean, one thing that, um, uh, that I think companies uh, find themselves talking about a lot among themselves is uh, when do you make decisions about assays? So one of the things that I think has confused people is that um, often FDA doesn't require a validated potency assay until phase three clinical trials. And, and those kinds of information uh, often confuse people because they think, well, then that means they don't have to validate their assays up front for phase one and phase two. But in fact, what happens is that if you start down the road with um, an inadequate number of characterization assays, and they're not very good assays, then yeah. you know several years later, when you think you're ready for phase three, you realize that you don't actually have perhaps a good method from the past yeah. to compare the product that yeah. you now have with what you did have. And so now you, don't, you can't trace then your, um, your product back to what it was in the beginning. 
And so not only does that make it difficult to make decisions, but that also makes it difficult then to get regulatory approval because what is the basis on which you are yeah. going to characterize the product that you're going into phase three clinical trials with? And so, uh, so that touched on the comparability question that we that we talked about today. So the idea of um, QBD studies that I've uh, seen come out of uh, some of the pharmaceutical uh, uh, interests is to, to decide when it makes sense to invest in an assay or when it makes sense to invest in something else, you know, where along the, st uh, along the pipeline of development do you need to have um, these checks and balances in place so that you can go forward and make good decisions. Yeah, great. Because it is a, an expensive thing to do. If measurement assurance is so difficult, how does a company think about moving forward? So it is it is difficult, and uh, of course the incentivization for, for this is that without measurement assurance, it's very difficult to think about how to get products to be developed from a good idea to um, to a marketable and cost-effective product that's safe and effective, but also to, to get it um, approved by regulators. Um, so it's really important to achieve uh, confidence in measurement um, and validation of assays, but it is a very hard thing for any individual company to do. And um, and one of the things that uh, that we'd like to encourage uh, the community to do is to work together um, to, uh, to to consider um, pre-competitive technologies and what the community uh, could could collaborate on in terms of. Uh, solving the development of technology or the um, methodologies for, for validation, the development of good protocols, interlaboratory comparisons that would give everybody uh, good protocols that they could use for pre-competitive technologies that would then ease their ability to put together a description of their product um, that could be used for regulatory purposes and for guiding um, development decisions. And so NIST is a, is a, a good organization to help um, organize such consortia on pre-competitive technology, and, um, uh, and it is something that we'd like to encourage the, the industrial and academic community to think about. Thank you. Great. So for our, our listeners today, are there some take-home messages that you'd like them to come away with? I guess the most important take-home message is that while we think about regenerative medicine and the regulation of product and the, and the, and the, the commercialization of um, advanced technologies such as this as, as, a, as a driving force for this conversation, that really um, all biomedical science is well served by uh, paying close attention to good measurement um, practices. One of the things that uh, having really uh, a high level of confidence in one's measurement and really understanding the benefits and the confidence that one has in measurements is going to do is it's going to make our understanding of biology a whole lot better, um, particularly when uh, uh, different laboratories can build on other laboratories' results. Uh, and it keeps the field going forward as opposed to reaching dead ends because they can't reproduce data that someone else has produced because the data was produced in a, in a way that uh, was uh, perhaps the, um, the conclusions were overblown relative to the quality of the data that was actually collected. So I think it's going to help us uh, move forward in a positive direction in our understanding of biology. Great.
Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at WFIRM News.